Our scripture this morning is from Psalm 5 and Galatians 6, 11 through 18. From Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make straight your way before me. For there is no truth in in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. And from Galatians. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not keep them do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And, for all, and, and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of God." From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Brian. And thank you, Bill. Where you? There you are. Thank you for praying. I think one of the things I'm going to miss the most about Annapolis is your heart of joy and your laughter. In fact, I think I might just make a recording of it and take it with me. Um, hey, uh, can we go to the Lord in prayer? Uh, before we do, let, let me tell you something that's really cool. When, when, um, when you pray, when you pray, remember that God of all creation, the Father above, enjoys the sound of your voice. He enjoys the sound of your voice. With that, let's go to him in prayer. Father, Lord, thank you for letting us come before you uh, on this Sabbath morning. Lord, you are worthy of our worship, and there is none other. Father, I pray that we would worship you well. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be yours. Lord, that you would open up our hearts, that we would hear from you this morning. Father, I pray that you would guard this one that would preach your word for your glory and your glory alone, that we would boast and none other but Jesus. Amen. Amen. As we dive into this, this passage this morning, uh, we're going to look at two passages. One, Psalm 
5, just a bit of Psalm 5, and then we're going to go to Galatians 6, uh, and we're going to touch on, we're going to spend most of our time in Galatians 6, we're going to touch on Revelation 2 uh, as well, where Jesus is speaking through the apostle uh, John uh, of the church at, at Ephesus there. But as, as we dive in, let me, let me mention something to you. Um, last week, I said something like, I don't remember exactly what it was, but something like um, that we can all be like Absalom, we can all be like David, um, that we can have mean words like, um, like uh, college students, high school girls, mean, uh, middle school girls, and uh, even, um, hence we have the, the show Mean Girls and things like that, and that we can do that even in the church. Uh, which is why it only takes like eight people making concerted effort to run a pastor out of the church. I in no way meant to imply that that was the case here at EP. It's not the case, not at all. Uh, but I'm sorry that, that I put that the way I did and that it was taken like that by some of you. That is me. Uh, as much as I've spoken over the last 60 years, don't repeat that word, um, over the last 60 years, the last 25 years in ministry, I still put my foot in my mouth every now and then. And that was a big foot in a big mouth. And so I, I apologize for that. That is not what I meant to, uh, to say or imply. Um, to, to say that it only takes eight people making that concerted effort is a phrase that I picked up from a doctor of ministry class on revitalization uh, with Phil Douglas at Covenant Seminary. And anyone that's ever had Phil for a church planting or revitalization class has heard that same thing. And it's an illustration of the fact that you and I, even as Christians, even as church members, can use our words in a way to, to harm others. And so it's like, okay, college students, middle school students, high school students, uh, Absaloms of the world, politicians of the world, and yes, even Christians in the church. Uh, so I blew it on that one, and I'm sorry for that. Will you please forgive me for that? So having, having said that, um, I think it's important to, to say what I, I think I, I missed saying. I would love to have said something like, uh, David and Absalom remind me of the older brother and the younger brother in, in the gospel according to Luke and the stories of the prodigal son. There we've got an older brother, a self-righteous older brother. We've got a younger brother, one that's run off to a foreign country and he's come back and he's begging for mercy. Uh, which one of those needs the gospel? Both. And which one of those are you most often like? Both. At least I am. There's days, in fact, there are days when I'm the younger brother and the older brother on the same day, sometime at the exact same moment. And it's the same with Absalom and David. So in both of those cases, what you have is God seeking to draw us to a point of, of, of contrast where we see, okay, this is self-righteousness. This is someone after God's own heart. This is the self-righteous brother. This is the, the younger brother begging for mercy or the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. You've got a Pharisee beating his, his chest and saying, or, or a tax collector beating his chest and saying, Lord, I need mercy, <laughs> give me mercy. And you've got a, a Pharisee uh, bragging and shouting out loud, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that tax collector over there. Those contrasts are there for a reason, to help us see that, uh, that you and I, all people, were sometimes the older brother, self-righteousness, sometimes with the younger brother, quite often we're both all at the same time. At least I am. And, and well, we all are. Let's just, let's just be frank. We're all that way. 
So we're both David and Absalom. We're both the younger brother and the older brother, the Pharisee and the tax collector. When it comes to the 12 spies that were sent into the promised land, we're the 10 that came back as cowards, and we're the two that came back with faith. We, you know, any given day, we might be all of that, all at one time. So who needs the gospel? We all need the gospel. We all need Jesus Christ, every single one of us. And that's what we get from this passage when we look at, at, at David crying out in in Psalm 5, and we look at Paul crying out in Galatians 6, we get the same thing. May we never boast in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, to be fair, David's not boasting in the cross, but he is boasting in a cross to come, a promise that will be fulfilled. He's boasting in that because he believes that God will keep his promise. I'm reminded of the story I heard uh, of a couple of promise keepers. You might have heard the story of John and Ann Batar. If you've heard that name of those stories, raise your hand. Anybody? Nobody? Well, you'll hear it today then. Uh, look it up when you get home. Uh, they they uh, were from families that um, moved over from Syria to Connecticut, actually, and made their home in Fairfield, Connecticut. Uh, back in the 20s, that would be the 1920s. A bunch of Syrian Christian immigrants that lived in the same neighborhood. John was about four years older than Anne, but they grew up not far from each other. And John had an old Ford Roadster and he would pick up all the kids in the neighborhood, mostly the girls, and take them in his Ford Roadster to school in the mornings. So she got to know John and began to develop a, an affection for John. Now her dad wanted her to marry somebody that was 20 years older than her. And she's like, no way. Uh, but dad's putting the pressure and John's, you know, winking at her and she's winking at John. And so finally, they, they take off. And she's 17 and he's 21 and they elope. Scandalous, right? They were married almost 86 years. 86 years. Isn't that incredible? John died in 1918 at the age of 107. His wife, Anne, followed him seven months later at the age of 103. What an incredible journey. They were founding members of the Orthodox Church there in Fairfield. And even in their hundreds, how do you like that? Not their 80s, their 90s. Even in their hundreds, they were still serving faithfully in the church in which they were founding members. Amazing. And of course, when you're married that long, people are asking you, what's the secret? And they kept coming back again and again and again, boasting in Christ alone. All of the answers were boasting in Christ alone. Yeah, they cooked together. Yeah, they did a lot of things together. But their boast was in Christ. Where do you boast? You see, what you boast in gets your life. It gets your energy. It gets your heart. It gets all of your life, everything that you live for and die for, that's, that, that gets your boast. So for King David and the Apostle Paul, what they had in boast, what they had in common is that in the hardest days and in the easiest days, they boasted in Christ. Now, neither one of them were perfect. Far from it. Far, far from it. But they boasted in Christ. They were both men that loved the Lord. You go back to Psalm 5 and you just see the opening, the opening phrases. And David's crying out, give ear to my words, O Lord. So there's prayer going on there. Uh, o Lord, consider my groaning. It's the next level of prayer. It's just the deep groaning that words can't express. 
And then in verse 2, give attention to the sound of my cry, my king and my God, for to you do I pray. His words, his groaning, his cry, another translation says his sighing. With all that's going on in David's words, or in David's world, he's crying out, he's sighing, he's groaning. Before who? Before the Lord. The Lord gets his boasting, the Lord gets his words. My king and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and I watch. In other words, Lord, even in the morning, early in the morning, I am praying and I'm worshiping and I'm watching and I'm waiting for you, Lord. Way back, 3,000 years ago, David's boasting in the Lord and he's wrapping his life up in the Lord. You go to Galatians in chapter 6 and you see Paul instructing the church that he had planted and the churches around there. Galatians, uh, the church in Galatia was, was in an area that we would look at today as, um, as Turkey. Okay, and it was Asia Minor. So the letter that he wrote to the church at Galatia would have been uh, read there, but it would have been read elsewhere around there in that region as well. Paul's, Paul's facing this church and he's writing to this church to believe the gospel that causes them to boast in Christ in Christ alone. So he gets to that place in verse 14 of chapter 6 where he says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. That is, either keeping the law or, or walking away from that part of the law counts for anything but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Both of them, David and Paul, are not looking to the outward signs, but to the inward reality of faith in Christ and Christ alone, both boast in the Lord alone. What do you boast? In what do you boast? We live in a world today where we boast in our, in our wealth, we boast in our, our achievements, you know, we, we, we boast in our, our athleticism or in our knowledge. Um, the time comes when those things go away. I would love to be able to boast in being fast again. That's not happening. I would love to be able to boast in being a great athlete. I was never a great athlete. I was fast, but it wasn't because I was just this great athlete. I would love to be able to boast in my ability to hit a three-point shot. That never happened. What, what, what do you boast in? If you're boasting in your, in your speed or your athleticism or your beauty, my friends, there's a part of that that really, it doesn't last. So if we're going to boast, let's boast in something that's bigger than us, it's bigger than this world, it's bigger than this universe, it's bigger than this time in which we live. Let's boast in the one that has created all of that. What does it mean to boast? Well, it doesn't mean to brag or, uh, at a victory or a conquest or even our athleticism. Uh, the, the boast that Paul is, is talking about here is much deeper than that. It involves a complete trust. It involves deep faith. It involves deeper love. It involves all of life. To boast is to trust completely. I had a men's retreat at Ridge Haven uh, 
this PCA campground uh, outside Brevard. There's a very beautiful high ropes course there. It's even more beautiful if you're looking at it from the ground. Um, so one of my, um, my, my, one of my uh, interns at the time actually was also a, uh, a counselor there at Ridge Haven. So he was really great on this, this high ropes course. And everyone else is getting up on that high ropes course. And, of course, they're looking to me, the church planter and pastor, come on, Harrison, I don't like heights. I don't like height. This is as high as I want to get. I'm great with flying, but then you're surrounded by something. You know, it might have been built on lowest bid, but you're surrounded by something. You know, you're up there on a ropes course, and you're wondering if it's going to fall. And the guy in front of me who weighed a little bit more than me is just bouncing up and down the rope, and he's showing me it's going to stay. It's, you're, it's not going to break. It, I don't know how long I actually stood on the edge of the platform before I let go and hit that zip line across the valley. Some of you have been there. I know, Shane, you've been on that zip line probably, right? That zip line is there. The zip line is, is heavy. Uh, it's going to hold you. But I, I, I probably waited for five minutes. It felt like an hour. And I'm shaking. Y'all, when I finally got on that zip line and I zipped across that valley, I couldn't wait to do it again and again and again and again and again. Sometimes you just, you, you've got to let go and trust Christ is, even more than you might trust that zip line is going to hold you up. It's hard to trust things that we don't see, harder to trust things that we don't even know anything about, is it? It's hard to trust, and yet Christ calls us to that. That's what it means to boast. It's back in Psalm 5. We, we, see, um, we see King David telling us again that what God says is true. At the end of, of Psalm 5, he says, You bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. God, he's, he's, he's reminding himself in, in the still watches of the night that God covers him with favor. You can count on that. You can trust that the Lord will cover you with favor. He's trustworthy. He directs us. His direction might not be popular. In fact, often it won't be. It might not be emotionally satisfying. Uh, it might not be physically satisfying or sexually or financially satisfying. But his direction is always good. Might not win any praise in the park marketplace or, or the classroom or even at home. But what God says is still true. It's still true. And he's worthy of our trust. To boast in the Lord means to trust him. To boast in Christ involves deep, deep, deep faith. Who do you boast in in the face of, of distress or persecution? Well, David and Paul are both showing us that. I mean, David's per being persecuted. Paul's being, being persecuted. That's why he's writing this letter to the church at Galatia. As Judaizers, the, that is um, Jewish Christians that were coming in and trying to teach the church there, to, uh, to be circumcised as a sign of being Jews. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. That's not what this is about. So he's being persecuted uh, because of his stand on grace and grace alone. In Christ, Christ alone is, is where we have to land. In, in, in the face of the distress and persecution, 
faith says, deep faith says, we're going to trust Christ even there. Now, Paul places this boasting in Christ in opposition then to fear in this place. Maybe it's not just people outside of you that might be putting the pressure on you. Maybe it's people inside. Maybe it's you inside. And you're afraid. You're afraid of what might happen if you boast in Christ, in Christ alone. You're afraid that someone might, uh, might make fun of you or mock you for being a Jesus freak. I got news for you folks. The day's going to come when every man, woman, and child, child will bow the knee before the Lord. And we will all be Jesus freaks. One of the beauties that I've had uh, the pleasure of, of having in, in our two and a half years here in Annapolis is I got to meet a guy that reveled in being a Jesus freak. I would never have met David Hannigan if I had not been here. David Hannigan walked as a Jesus freak, didn't he? I remember um, seeing him just a couple of weeks before he slipped the bonds of earth to touch the face of God. I saw him at Grohl's, and um, he had a smile on his face, and there was a tired joy in his eyes. And he was so, so, so kind, even on that day. He was a man that boasted in Christ and Christ alone. Even in the hard things. We live in fear sometimes that the world will look at us as Jesus freaks. My friend, what a badge of glory. What a wonderful thing to boast in. Maybe there's a battle going on inside you, a quiet battle, maybe a raging battle, that, that still small voice that cries out inside you and, and, and says to, to, to shut up, to be quiet, to back down, to hide, or to, you know, to, to not let them know how much you love Christ. And that other voice inside you is saying, I'm, I'm trustworthy. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you, and that other voice is saying, I'm trustworthy, trust me, trust me, follow me. Deep faith is deep faith in, in a deep God as he reveals himself in Scripture. You know, we, we live in a time where, um, where unbelievers don't, don't read Scripture. Um, but here's the shocker. Most Christians don't either. In fact, a recent survey uh, tells us that, that less than 40%, another survey said thir- less than 30%, of Christians believe that Scripture is all the inerrant, infallible Word of God. Isn't that a surprise? And so if we're not, if we're not reading it and we're not, not trusting it and we're not believing it, then we're, we probably don't look much like it. So those that, are, um, those that are not Christians, and if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, um, I'd love to know your thoughts on this. Come see me and let me know what you think. Give me some feedback on it. Uh, but those, someone that's not a Christian, that's not reading this book, what do they read? What do they read to find out about God? Well, they might read other books, but what they're reading for the most part to find out who Christ is and what he's really like, what they're reading is other Christians, or at least people that claim to be Christians. So they're reading, uh, they're reading me, they're, they're reading you, and, and that's, that's how they understand who, who Christ is. So who, who do we boast in? Do we boast in Christ or 
is something, something less. To boast in Christ involves deepest, deepest, deepest love. When you love Jesus more than you love your friends, your spouse, your children, your parents, even yourself. When you love Jesus like that, you're as free as you can possibly be and as bold as you can possibly be. One of my favorite stories is the horse and his boy um, by, uh, by C.S. Lewis and part of the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, one of the, the characters is Hwin, H-W-I-N. I have no idea how to pronounce that, but that's okay. You don't either. Um, Hwin, the horse, and she's, she's looking at Aslan, this big, huge lion, and, and she has such a, a love and a passion for Aslan, but she says, please, you're so beautiful. You may eat me if you'd like. I'd rather be eaten by you than fed by anyone else. It's, it's the story of Job when he says to God the Father, yea, though you slay me, yet will I serve you. To boast in the Lord is to boast in him for all of our lives. You see, what, you, what we boast in is what causes us to live, to really live. It's the crux of all of our lives. Anything other than Christ will leave us stopping short, far short of God, redemption, life, satisfaction, freedom. It leaves us slaves to the creation rather than living life in the creator freely. When we get to that place of, of complete trust in Christ, we understand that there's even more depth that, that we need to go to. And we go deeper, deeper, deeper still. And the more we love Christ, the more we want to love Christ. It's a process of becoming a new creation. We love Christ more than we fear persecution. We love Christ enough to, to even set ourselves on the potter's wheel and let him remake us as much as he wants to. We visited the, um, the Cradle of Forest in the Pisgah National Forest outside of Brevard, North Carolina. And there was a, a woman making, making clay. She had her wheel. She was going, just going and going and going. And, and she was making a, um, I think it was a pot or a vase of some sort. And she's making that and and, and I asked her, I said something like, um, that reminds me of the, the story in, G, in Scripture where Jesus speaks of the master potter. And she kind of smiled and, and she just flattened the face. And she began to talk about that very thing, how the master potter has the right to do whatever he wants to with the clay. And if he needs to destroy it, take a little bit of the clay off, to make it into what he wants it to be. Isn't that a good thing? Wouldn't we rather be there as what Christ wants us to be than some other kind of a vase that, that is not what he has designed? But it's risky because it can be painful to be on that wheel. But it's where Jesus wants us to be. It's a new creation. Becoming a new creation involves inward transformation, the potter getting his hands on, on our souls and, and remaking us. How deep is that new creation? It's deeper and ever deeper and ever deeper and growing deeper. Far deeper is his desire for us and our desire for him. And he calls us to ever move ever closer to him. We don't have a swimming pool at our, at our house, but we've been to one. It's kind of like Seder Holiday and Express one time. So, um, you know, but, but in a typical swimming pool, there's a deep end, right? And a shallow end. So I remember the YMCA that, that I used to go to as a kid, there was a 10-foot deep end because there was a high dive 
down there. But so it was 10 foot deep there and, and I don't know, maybe three feet at the other end. It was deep. Is that deep enough? How deep is deep? Or you go to, the, uh, to Belize in the Blue Hole, off the coast of Belize, 994 feet deep. Is that deep enough? Or the Mariana Trench or the Challenger Deep south of Guam, 36,000 plus feet deep. How deep is deep enough? How deep does God want us to go is the wrong answer or the wrong question. If we let the world around us define that, or we even let our own hearts define that without Christ, then we're going to stop far short of where God calls us to go. He calls us to go as deep as we can possibly go this side of heaven. The more we love Christ, the more we want to love Christ. The more we know Christ, the more we want to know Christ. The more we know of his word, the more we want to know of his word. When we hold back from him, for whatever reason, we're stopping short of that deeper faith and that deepest love. And we're stopping short of that new creation that boasts in Christ and Christ alone. It's like running a marathon and and stopping at 26 miles instead of 26.2. Why would you do that? Go deeper, further in, higher up. What holds you back from running harder and faster after Christ? What holds you back? Is it fear? Fear of having to let go of something in your own heart, in your own mind? Fear of letting go of a way of life? Is it a fear of transformation? I'm, I'm, I've got all that. Is it, is it fear of, of, of transparency? I've got all of that. Is it fear of change? What's, what holds you back? Is it fear of what he might require of you? Is it fear that he might see those things inside of you that you try to keep hidden? Guilty there too? He already knows all that. Got to get it out. Just got to rip that stuff out. Whatever it is that's keeping you away from going deeper in Christ, just take it out. I remember being in middle school, I think it was probably eighth grade, about that. Uh, I was cutting open a frozen pizza. This is before they had zip tabs on the, top, on the side of those boxes. And you had to open them with scissors or a knife or something like that. And I'm holding it down on the counter like this. And I'm cutting that thing open with a steak knife. And yeah, you know what happened, right? And it got stuck in the frozen pizza and it got stuck in the frozen pizza. So I was going to do what, you know, what an eighth grade boy might do. Bam! And it missed the frozen pizza and went straight into my arm. And I'm standing there, I kid you not, in the kitchen. And there's a steak knife just like something out of a Looney Tunes cartoon. And um, I looked at my mom in the living room. I said, Mom, there's a knife sticking in my arm. Don't joke like that. No, there really is. There's a knife in my arm. And, you know, and she looks up and turns pale. And, um, but, you know, true to, true to being a good mom, she comes in there, and it's got to come out. I'm like, <laughs> it's got to come out. And so I, I reach over and, and I grab it and I, I pulled it out and you can imagine what happened after that. It was very messy. Um, but the, the, th- the thing is, the things that we're afraid of, they have to come out. You can't walk around with a knife in your arm. <laughs> it's not wise. You, 
If we're going to say, Lord, I, I want all of you, then we've got to be willing to let him take those parts of us that, and, and move them out of there that need to go. Let him take them. Let him move them out. Let him go. Again, from Psalm 5, David says, Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Oh, Lord, let all of us who take refuge in you, oh, Lord, rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover them with favor as with a shield. My friend, grace and mercy from the Lord go deep because our need is so very deep. What's the impact of this in our lives? Well, it leaves us free. Free to fail. Free to admit failure, free to admit that, that we need Jesus. It, it leaves us free to succeed, uh, free to honestly give thanks to the people around us and give glory for that success to God. It leaves us free to put that outside of ourselves. It leaves us free to be wrong and to still, still love each other, to still love the world around us, even if they don't think like we do, or leave, love people within your body and your family, even if they don't think like you do. I watched as two uh, adult men in my life back when I was a kid. Both of them sold insurance, one one type, one the other type. These men were good friends. Their wives were good friends. Those kids were good friends. But they began to argue about the best type of insurance policy. And they were both convinced that the other one was wrong. And like something out of a 1950s movie, they, they broke their friendship. They, they just stopped loving each other, stopped hanging out with each other. It made it really awkward on the rest of us. Over a period of time, they came back, came back together. But this, this dependence on Christ leaves us free to, to disagree on those things, like how to do business, free to, to run back, free to have a relationship with God and, and people that's more important than our righteousness or our, our success in life. It leaves us free to really love because real love gives no thought to reputation. Real love gives no thought to what you might give back in return. To boast in Christ and Christ alone leaves us free to trust in Christ and Christ alone. Free to boast in Christ and Christ alone. Listen, um, EP's got 50 plus years behind her. And by God's grace, you know, hopefully another 50 plus years to her future. But my friends, no matter how large EP grows, no matter how many campuses she might have or churches she might plant, no matter how many services she might have on a Sunday morning or who your next pastor is, no matter any of that, May you never boast in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. Never boast in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to you and you to the world. For Christ and Christ alone is worthy. Will you pray with me? Father, Lord, we thank you for leading us once again to the throne of grace. Lord, we are in such desperate need of your mercy and your grace. Lord, we thank you for that. And now, Father, Lord, I ask again, if there's anyone here that has never met you 
I pray that you change that even today. Even today, Lord, that you would draw them into your family and that they would be your son, your daughter, and you would be their father, your heavenly father forever in Christ. Amen. Would you stand with us and sing how deep the Father's love for us? Oh, for